another episode of Icy Takes. Uh, it's Big Dave on this side and Jeff on the other. Um, Jeff, it it's, feels very depressing right now. I don't really know what's happening. Do you? Yeah, Dave, it's been a tough, tough couple of days for for you and me. Our adopted NHL team that we started rooting for in the playoffs, um, they got eliminated. They got eliminated on uh, Wednesday night. Uh, the Colorado Avalanche losing three to two. It's been a very somber um, kind of feeling with the show right now. It, it, it's an empty feeling, and um, you know we're gonna try and power through this. But um, definitely a tough loss for us to take on 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 Wednesday night. Definitely, definitely. But um, I, but we do this every week for you guys. Um. Before we get into the show, uh, make sure if you have not already, like us on Facebook at uh, Icy Takes with Jeff and Big Dave. Icy spelled I C E Y. The Twitter at Icy Takes, all together as one word, I C E Y. And follow our own personal Twitter at Big underscore Dave 52. And at J Christ underscore 51. Um, also on anchor.fm, if you're ever looking to donate to maybe if you have any ideas for us, how to make the show maybe more creative or just to keep, just to have us have some upkeep on the show, you can, uh, find the donation button on anchor.fm when listening to our show. Um, so Jeff, let's try to, let's try to brighten the mood. Let's get a little bit happier. Uh, life moves on. And so do the Stanley cup playoffs. Um, we got a we got a whole slate to talk about with both the NHL and the MLB, but let's start with our um, our team that our team that's been eliminated, our adopted team. Our yeah, our adopted team. We we called them our adopted team since they moved on in round one, and um, the Colorado Avalanche they lost three to two to the Sharks last Wednesday, um, and not without a little bit of controversy. And it seems like these. Playoffs have been full of nothing but controversy in the biggest games of each series, which have been Game 7s. Um, from what it looked like, uh, Colin Wilson looked like he tied the game at 2, in the, uh, I believe in the second period, yeah. on a setup by, guess who, Nate McKinnon. And everything looked good. You know, I was kind of jumping up, ready to go, let's go. We're back in it. And... Turns out Gabriel Landeskog was going for a change, and he didn't quite get his foot in the door and was considered to be offsides. The goal got called back. A couple minutes later, San Jose turns around and scores. It's basically a two-goal swing, and Colorado never really was able to recover, and they end up losing 3-2 to two in Game 7 and get eliminated from Stanley Cup competition. So, so if my memory serves me correct, the uh, the Avalanche have not been anywhere near as good as they should be when it comes to Game Sevens, especially on the road. Um, was are they sporting like a two and six record now in Game Sevens on the road? I believe so. They've struggled. They've done almost like the opposite of what the Penguins are doing for a while. Remember when the Penguins couldn't win on home ice in Game Sevens? They're kind of doing the opposite. They can't win on the road in Game Sevens. <laughs> yep, but. You mentioned the the what was the tying goal before it was ta- taken away by Colin Wilson. Um, this that's the controversy that you brought up that we want to really get into, and uh, let's try to spice up this show. Let's get a little bit happier in here. 
and yeah, or, let's pick or it up angrier or let's just get yeah. angrier about this because I, I I really think the the avalanche got a the, the short end of the straw here because it's it's clear that Gabriel Landeskog is out of the play that he is not a part of this play and is looking to get off the ice. I mean, obviously, you can't call too many men on the ice all the time because there would be way too many penalties with how quick some of these changes are with some people still being on the ice and some of them looking to jump over the board to get over. Um, But I think this is um, the right call, but at the same time, the Avalanche have every reason to be mad about that call because that shouldn't really be offside. That should either be... Too many men on the ice or a no call, in my opinion, with how the play unfolded. Here's my question that that I do have is so the the call the original call on the ice was a good goal, correct? Yeah. That that it, it did get overturned. They didn't yes. confirm, say, like, you know, it, it was offside. So the call on the ice stands as a goal. My question is, what angle does the war room in Toronto have? where you can absolutely 150% tell me that his that no part of his skate is on the blue line because if he's on the blue line in any way shape or form that is a, that is an onside play well, and from I, all the and, and from all what well, all the angles that NBC at least showed us and I know they have different angles in Toronto there there was not one angle that I saw that you can deliberately tell me 110% that he is offsides completely. Well, and that's that that's my only beef with the whole thing is that if you if you want to recall the, the Stanley Cup playoffs in 2017 with the Nashville Predators goal that got overturned because PK Subban's um No, skate... that was Phil Forsberg, Phil Forsberg. I know a player you're talking about cuz okay. he was a, he it, Subban scored the goal but um Phil Forsberg was doing like a crossover and his skate crossed over the blue line before because it was in the air, but the puck was still behind him as he was like dragging into the zone and he was considered offsides. And what what, what I'm getting at with that is that they had such a great angle to point that out. And they showed it at least on the television broadcast. Like you, they have cameras set up so that you will be able to see within inches, even centimeters of how close these players are to the ice, whether they're over or on the blue line. So I'm not really doubting what Toronto saw. I'm just doubting that because he is out of the play, because he's going to the bench, I feel like that I'm going back to what I said earlier. It's either too many men on the ice or it's a no call. Because if you like, even in like youth hockey, um, substitutions can be a little bit slower, right? No, oh, yeah, you got idiots like me that coach youth hockey. They're looking for too many men every every change. I'm I'm looking at every change. Yeah, and you you'll see like some players are probably crossing the line, like the the blue line, to get to the bench while other players are already getting out on the ice. And although you can clearly see the players skating off to get out of the play so that they're no longer in there, you can call at that very second that there's too many men on the ice. So. Why is that call not being enforced during the review if you're going to take away the goal? I think, though, they do give you, like, that little buffer that as long as as long as long the player that hopped on form isn't directly impacting the play, 
they give you like that five foot two to five feet buffer to you know get off the ice and everything so I don't know if necessarily too many men on the ice is even called there regardless because it's so far away from the play um I just at the end of the day when you when you hear from from everybody in the hockey world it seems like this isn't why we brought in review for offsides because it seems like this argument comes up all the time with these ticky tacky offsides and they're getting reviewed and they're taking forever because they are incredibly close. What they brought that in for was like the Danny Briere play where, you know, he's, you know, 10 feet offsides and for whatever reason, two linesmen and two referees miss it and it results in a goal or the same thing that happened with Matt Duchesne when he was in Colorado that which is kind of fitting that, you know, they got away with that a couple years ago. I believe it was 2013, if memory serves me correctly. He was like 10 feet offsides. They missed it. And he ended up scoring a goal. Those are what they bring in the review for. That's why it was added to the NHL. Now it seems like every coach and every video guy is looking at every entry and every little thing that looks somewhat suspicious. Um, you know, they bookmark it and they take a look and – you know, you see a lot of offsides being challenged nowadays, and it seems like it's it's getting a little bit out of out of hand, if you ask me. So, I can look back and remember that a couple years ago, not only on our radio show at Slippery Rock, but even across you know, major sports networks, pleading for certain sports to have more video review, like hockey and baseball, for instance, um, where it was usually whatever the call was on the ice or whatever the call was on the field, that was the call, no matter how oblivious the, the missed call was like, that's what the call was. You had to deal with it. You're probably going to get ejected because you're just trying to get your team fired up and realize that that was a, that was a piss poor call. And you're trying to almost rally the troops and not have to dwell on that mistake. Now with the addition to replay, and for everyone pleading that we need perfection in the game from these umpires or referees, it's going to be like a two-part question, Jeff. A, do you think that, or A or one, it doesn't really matter, do you think that referees and umpires are being scrutinized so much to the point where they need to rely on these cameras to make these micro decisions? And B, do you think that we crave perfection so much that it's ruining the sports that we watch? So to answer your first part, I think referees, not necessarily umpires, but at least referees in both the NHL and the NFL, I think a lot of them rely too much on reviews that they're not they're not gutsy enough to make make that controversial controversial call and you know stick to their call where because they're just saying, well, we can always go back to review and we can review it and get it right. Where I would rather I would rather a referee say, you know what, this is what I saw, it's how I saw it. It it might be wrong, it might be right, but it's it's what I saw. I'm not making it up. I'm not, you know, it was just my gut feeling of what I saw, and that's it. You know, you you, you kind of saw it with the um with the Charlie McAvoy hit against Columbus, where you know there's a referee right there, and Charlie McAvoy buries an elbow, and he gets two minutes and. He's still he's still in the, he's still in the game, but in the round before, there is a you know a phantom five minute call that 
arguably has changed the whole way referees have been calling games in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And, you know, there was no suspension there, but there's a one-game suspension on a two-minute hit. It it kind of, you know, it doesn't make sense if you get what I mean. So with referees, um, I know usually they have their own union. I know that in the NFL that they have their own union. We saw the strike in 2013 or 2012, actually, with how abysmal the first three weeks of the season were with backup referees. Um, do you think that there needs to be maybe punishment for officials or umpires that, you know, if a player goes out and does something dirty, they're getting a fine or getting a suspension. Do you think a a referee or an official that may have um, got the outcome of a game wrong because of a certain call, whether it was through the the officials, through the uh, Toronto review booth, or whether it was just a a non-call on the ice, like not not giving Charlie McAvoy uh, game misconduct, do you think that referees need to be held to a higher standard, and if they do something wrong, they need to be just suspended? Well, the, the thing that the NHL does, especially this time of year in the playoffs, um, they are being evaluated um, for every game and every series that they do run. Um, and the, the what they do is, uh, through their evaluations, they determine who moves on. So it's not a guarantee that you're going to move on and do another series. Um, for an example, the guys that were doing the uh, – the Vegas uh, San Jose game, they did not move on to do the next series um, in the second round because of all that controversy and how much was involved and in that call that they did miss. So I do think that the way the NHL at least does it, um, I think as far as disciplinary, yes, I think they do a good job in a way. Um, I honestly would just like to see referees just kind of be, don't don't use review as such a such a crutch, you know. Just make your call and stick to it. And then I I, I honestly would like to see review get pulled back a little bit. I think it's it's too much. Um, I think you you miss um, the human element out of out of sports the and the organic um, emotions that you get. I mean. You score a goal and you're waiting to see if it's going to get reviewed. You score an overtime goal, you wait to see if it gets reviewed. Um, I you just miss the the organic emotions in sports with all the reviews, in my opinion. It, it does suck though. With you bringing that up, I like I, I I like the human element, but at the same time, when you have technology out there to get everything perfect, this is what people strive for. This is what the people who watch the game want to see. They want everything. Because if you're rooting for a team, and let's just say our adopted team, and you see a call like that happen, you're a little bit pissed off, aren't you? Yeah, but that, doesn't that bring up some great talking points when you're at, at a local establishment having a couple adult beverages? At the, some, yeah, some, but at the, some of the some of the best debates in all sports are based off a missed call. Yeah, so having the technology and having what fans uh, want, which is a perfect game. Do you think having all these cameras and everything else is just ruining just let's just say all of sports? Let's just narrow I, it down there. I, I think I think the review part of it is is what ruins sports. As far as the technology, I think the cameras um, when you get different angles and and stuff like that, I think that that is a great thing for sports to have all these cameras around and you can see different 
different parts of the game from different perspectives. I just think all these roles where you, you know you're challenging an, an offsides that's maybe a, a millimeter offsides, and you know it ends up costing it literally costing a team a series. Right. I, I just and- I I just think that's where we've gone down a bad road. It's not necessarily with te- the technology. I just think it's with all all the allowances we're giving coaches to review and something didn't get, go our way. We're not going to deal with the adversity. We're going to challenge it and, you know, get, get it fixed so it goes back in our favor. And not to really hark on this any longer than we need to because I do want to move on, but you were mentioning how great it is to have all these angles with the cameras and everything else that you see different parts of the game that you've never been able to see before, having those angles also means that you have all of those different uh, viewing points to review those calls. Um, so it's like a backup set of eyes for officials where you're, as an official, you're never going to get a perfect game called just like the opposite of like, you know, throwing a perfect game in baseball. It, that happens. It, it's a very rare occasion, but it, it does happen. So maybe... an official does have a perfect game but it will go unnoticed because now you have everything else out there all these um, angles that you can rely on in case uh, a a coach throws out a challenge like that and you know hey all of us couldn't see that but this one camera could so your challenge is correct we'll overturn the call right and I mean to to look at the, the the other sport that we talk about a lot on this show is baseball like one of the best things about baseball is a pitcher trying to figure out what an umpire strike zone is or a batter figuring out what a, what a strike zone is because you know the, you might throw a pitch that's right that's right on the corner and the umpire thinks it's a little bit outside and now you have to make that adjustment do you think you can get away with going a little further outside or do you have to come further in a little bit it's kind of like that gamesmanship that you kind of lose when you're when you're relying so much on review and the technology like that you just lose some of that gamesmanship, I think. So let us know on Facebook or Twitter what you think about maybe the Avalanche not being able to tie up the game. Do you think that really cost the series, or do you think the, the Sharks still had it in the end, scoring, you know, obviously more goals than the other team with the Avalanche? Um, and anything about replay and sports, do you like it? Do you hate it? Tell us why you love it. Tell us why you hate it. Um, Jeff, what's, what's up next? So we had another Game 7 that happened since we uh, last got together. Um, Dallas and St. Louis, uh, St. Louis won two to one in game seven. Um, first off hats off to Ben Bishop, a 50 safe performance. Um, he needed not to use a cliche, but he needed 51 apparently to win the hockey game. But, um, uh, you got to feel good for Patrick Maroon. He's a local St. Louis kid to, to win in game seven. It's what every kid dreams in any sport, whether it's in the game winning shot in basketball the winning touchdown in football, the winning home run in baseball, or scoring the game-winning goal in Game 7. Um, it, it was a gorgeous play. Robert Thomas with the shot from the uh, from just at the uh, face-off dot. It hit the post, and it kind of hit Ben Bishop's mask or his back, and it kind of laid in the crease. And uh, Pat Maroon uh, buried it home and sent, uh, sent St. Louis to the uh, Western Conference Final. Um it was a it, it was a double overtime game. It was everything that that sports fans dream of when you hear Game Seven. The dramatic of overtime going up and down, chances at both ends, and um, 
you know, that's 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 what makes playoff hockey so great, right? Is a game like that, a game seven and multiple overtimes. The one thing I do want to bring up about that is the Blues, and I think I do this way too much, but I'm still going to do it again. Um, the way the season has unfolded for them reminds me of that 2016 season for the Penguins, the 2015-2016 season with the changing of the head coach and a backup goalie uh, through the minors coming in and just setting the world on fire with how he's been playing. And now they're in the conference finals. I mean, they lost game one uh, pretty handily as well. The Sharks are, are really good. I didn't think that going into the playoffs, but the Sharks are really good. Um, and we might see the end of the Blues era, but this is a Blues team that hasn't been to the conference final since 2013 or... I believe it was 2016. Okay, yeah, didn't they? They lost to the Sharks. Yeah, I believe they lost to the Sharks. So I think history is going to repeat itself again. But, I mean, this is a Blues team that's used to losing. Um, They had the conference final, or the finals appearance in 68, their expansion year, and and haven't been back since, correct? No, I believe that's incorrect. Bobby Orr scored a Stanley Cup winning goal against them. That's probably the biggest thing that franchise is famous for. (laughs) Well, regardless, I stand corrected on them having losing on their side ever since they came into the league, though. Correct, yes. Yeah, so um, I just think the Blues are one of the biggest surprises of the NHL, maybe next to the Hurricanes. Um, a, a team that was third to last before the coaching and um, goalie change. And since that coaching and goalie change had the second best record in, in all of the NHL, and it's just a, a nice comeback story that I want to see come into fruition into the finals, but I don't think it'll happen. It's truly incredible that um, how far the Blues have come. I remember being in my buddy's place uh, around Christmas time, and it was when St. Louis was kind of at rock bottom. And there was a report. I think I was scoping through Twitter, or he was looking on one of his one of his uh, rumor mill sites or whatever. And there was a big headline that said, Blues have said they're open for business. Everybody's available, except I, I, I want to say Tarasenko was the only one that they said wasn't, wasn't available. And we just looked at each other, and we're just licking our chops, thinking, like, oh, if the Pens could get Petrangelo, or we could get, you know, name another star on the St. Louis Blues and add them to the Penguin roster, you know, we're set. And then they, they, the uh, calendar turns to 2019. Jordan Biddington shows up and he just goes on a tear. The Blues go on a tear. They end up making making the playoffs as a divi- as a top three in the division, let alone um, being a wild card. And you know here they are in the conference final. And I believe that's still going on now. The last score I saw was one nothing um, in favor of St. Louis. It's three two at the end of two right now um, as we are recording this podcast. So. Um, it's definitely been a crazy, crazy ride for the St. Louis Blues. Um, and, I mean, I am i really don't even know who I'm pulling for in the Final Four right now because I, I don't like any of the teams. But um, I will really? give I, I do not know. I mean, Carolina is well-known. They're a bunch of jerks. And the only, the only reason I've rooted for them before is because they played, uh, they played Washington and then they played the Islanders. So two teams I had to hate. So they're playing Boston. They're they're kind. I'm kind of rooting for Carolina by default at this point. But um, 
but yeah, I, it, it was a great run for for uh, St. Louis. Um, I think I think they can make a run. I think I think that's going to be a lot closer of a series than what what uh, Carolina's got. But um, talk about a team just getting it together at the right time, and they really they really didn't have to make a whole ton of overhaul at the deadline to bring in a, a big name or anything because they were on such a roll that didn't want to really mess up any of that chemistry or anything. So before we get into the next series, uh, I want to switch it over to the other team, which is, um, which is the Sharks, the, the team that the Blues are playing. And how about Logan Couture um, basically going out there with like a, like a shark smelling blood in the water um, he just scored two goals in two minutes in tonight's game to get them on the board at three to two. But of all the players that are available right now, do you think that Logan Couture is probably most deserving for Conn Smythe if everything goes right for the Sharks? I would say yes. And I'm just thinking based off of how the media looks at this, because at the end of the day, they're the ones that determine the Conn Smythe. Well, I want to know what you think. Right, right, right. And I'm going to kind of... I'm kind of going off of because I, I just, for God's sakes, want to be right about something on this show. So if you remember back on that five-minute major call on Joe Pavelski that, um, they, that got San Jose that five-minute power play, and the first goal that was scored to get them rolling in that game seven, Logan Couture scored the first goal. So he kind of got them rolling, and he he's a playoff guy. I... I'm not his biggest fan, but he's he just shows up at big big moments and gets them done. Um, finds a way. He always seems like every goal he scores is always a big goal, and you always remember it. So um, I think for San Jose, he's definitely a front runner for the uh, for the Con Um, uh, and to bring that up, you mentioned like the game seven and. You get that one goal to change the momentum. I mean, they they were done in that series. They were done in Game Seven, and then all of a sudden that hit came came about, and they just lit it up. This is that is taking advantage of a five minute major that is showing off how good your power play is, and that is just pure domination when you get in a situation like that and score that many goals in that uh, short time frame with one extra player. Shows off how how gifted. Um, offensively that the Sharks are this year and I think almost every year is why they're competitive is because of how gifted the entire team is um, on offense. How do you feel about Joe Thornton? I don't know if we've talked about him or not um, on, on, mean, the, on this show. What, this are you, as a player? No, 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 no. What, what I mean by that is, are you rooting for him because he's never won a Stanley Cup? No, but if it happens, I'm, I'm cool with it. I'm, okay. not, I'm, I'm not looking I'm kinda, for yeah, I'm not looking for him to like have the swan song to go out uh, on the Stanley Cup, but I'm not opposed to that storyline. Yeah, I, my whole thing is if he if he gets it cool, but I'm not going to root for the Sharks and say, you know, hey, Jumbo Joe deserves to get a Stanley Cup because he's a good guy. Um, see, what, I, what I need I to think... see is Jumbo Joe defeat the Boston Bruins in TD Garden in double overtime. With that a game-winning would, goal, that would be like the one thing I would be like, okay, I can get on board with this because this that franchise pretty much gave up on them and sent them out west. And um, I, I, the only thing that I struggle with is when people say like, you know, he deserves it. 
And the one thing that makes the Stanley Cup so great is that not everybody gets a chance to win it. Look how long it took Dave Andrechuk to win his. I mean, the, I, I think what ruins it for Joe, Joe Thornton more than anything is like what Ray Bork did when Ray Bork pimped himself out to go get a cup in Colorado at the end of his career. But and, you got and it. That, yeah, that, but that's what kind of ruins it for like the guys that have, that have waited for so long is that, you know, unfortunately – Unfortunately, not everybody gets to win a Stanley Cup, and um, I just have a tough time, you know, just because he's been around for a long time, he deserves to win it. I, I just can't jump on board with that. I'm going to throw you a curveball here real quick and see how you adapt to it. Who is your favorite player that never won a Stanley Cup? Favorite player that never won a Stanley Cup? Oh, boy. See, I like a lot of winners, so a lot of, a lot of guys that I like do win Stanley Cups. Oh boy, are we going like as far back into like my childhood and everything? I mean, whenever like you see a player like, even though we weren't even a, a thought back then. I mean, for baseball, I think Ernie Banks is a it's a hell of a player that never even got to the playoffs, let alone win a World Series. So, um, I think like that would be one I could think of right away. And there's a couple others in my childhood that I know of in baseball, but. I just wanted to see what you had in, in store for hockey. I think I stalled enough I think, that maybe you can think of an answer. Yeah, I think if I had to, like, thinking back to when I was younger, uh, I remember when the Penguins got Johan Hedberg. And, I, I mean, I, I, I loved him as a goaltender because he was just all over the place and making saves he had no business making. Never winning a cup either. Um, I would have to say Johan Hedberg. That would probably be my favorite. All right. Just, I, I just wanted to pick your brain a little bit. See, yeah, see that, what you that, think of. Do you, do you have a hockey player? I know you're not a big uh, hockey guy, but well, I'm I'm trying to think of players that uh, had never won it because I can think of a few players that I know that they were prominent on certain teams. Like, um, I mean, Robitaille won in Detroit, right? Yeah, yeah, he was on like that Hall of Fame team in Detroit. So I was gonna go with him as a Kings player, but that that won't work, right? Um, and I'm trying. I'm trying to think of just any goalies, um, like Dominic Hoshik won in Detroit as well, right? Yep, same team, Hall of Fame team, pretty much. Yeah. So, um, I mean, right? You'd probably have to give me a little bit of time to maybe think of someone. Like, I don't I know. know. Was Tyler Kennedy on the '09 roster? Yeah. <laughs> so I can't even think of a right. uh, a player like that. So. Well, I'll t- <laughs> tell you what. Everybody tweet Big Dave. Who your favorite player was that's never won a championship, whether it's baseball or hockey, and maybe he can pick one of them out of that. I mean, I, I can pick a baseball one easily. I mean, mine's Brian Giles. Okay, Brian Giles, not bad, not bad. So, um, for I don't know for hockey, I, I gotta like I gotta dig deep because I'm trying to think because I named two players that I know who they were prominent on before, but then they got on the the Detroit uh, bandwagon. <laughs> right, right. So. Um, we got one more series to talk about, right? Yeah. By the way, here, here's another one that, that I, I do like that never won a cup. Pablo Bure. Okay. Never won a cup. I, and he came close. He came close in 94. But, um, when I was real young, I liked how fast he skated and all the skill that he had. So that's another one for that list. Uh, yeah. One more series to talk about here, Boston and Carolina. Um, they've played two games already. Um, Boston won game one five to two Boston had four unanswered goals in the third period um 
you could probably look at that that third period as a turning point in the series, and you hate to say that for game one. Um, but after looking at game two, Boston came out again. Um, they had two goals in each period, and Peter Morazic did not look good. Um, the whole Carolina Hurricanes team did not look good. Um, I was surprised Peter Morazic even came out for the third period for that game. Um, the, uh, the broadcasters on NBC were saying that uh, Chris McElhaney could be coming in for the third period. Um, I know Eddie Olchek said he'd pull him. Brian Boucher said he'd pull him. I think Keith Jones was also on board with pulling him. And um, and Peter Morazic came out, and I thought that was a bad, bad move by Rod Brindamore. Um, kind of left his goaltender hung out to dry. And um, it's going to be interesting to see who they start in game uh, game three in Raleigh. Um, there's that old cliche that you're never in trouble until you lose on home ice. And uh, we'll see. We'll see what Carolina can regroup and hopefully come back in the series because I'm sure every American city does not want the Boston Bruins in the Stanley Cup final. Aside from Boston, no other city wants the Bruins in the Stanley Cup final. Because then that's what, Patriots, Red Sox, Bruins? And thank God the Celtics all are in out one, in basketball. All in one year? Thank like, God the Celtics are out right now in basketball. I could not yeah. stand a grand slam for that city. Yeah, I mean, especially since they're always like, oh, woe is us, woe is us. You guys bring in every superstar in every sport. So just knock it off. So... Back to your point about the the series, how you said it's probably the turning point in that third period of the first game with one of those four goals being empty net. And then right after that was just uh, a bad turnover play by the Hurricanes and giving up a breakaway um, to really uh, solidify the win. Um, I'm not going to be doubting the Hurricanes team until they finally lose at PNC Arena. Um, They were down to nothing against the Capitals and had to win the final two to win that series in Game 6 and Game 7, with Game 7 being in Washington. Um, I mean, obviously, Boston is a better team, but I'm not doubting this this Hurricanes team, which has just defied all odds all season. I mean, we can go back on our show saying, you haven't been in the playoffs in 10 years. Show me what you can do, and they're one of the last two teams remaining in the Eastern Conference. And that just, I think that's with, uh, with how Brendan Moore coaches them. Um, I think it's just, a, it's just a speed game with all those players. And right now Boston's doing a great job of just like setting up roadblocks, at least in the short amount of time that I've been watching the series. Um, but you made a great point about Mrazek. Um, when you have McElhenney play as well as he did, uh, in place of injury for Mrazek, and then he comes back in this Boston series and, puts up, what, he gave up technically four in the first game and five in the second game, or did he give up all six in game two? Uh, he gave up all six in game two, and they were even saying on the uh, on the broadcast, I think Eddie Olchek asked Brian Boucher, if when you're a goaltender in that situation, do you realize that you've given up ten goals? Ten, ten in a row, I believe, is what it, where he's at right now. And well, um, Yeah, at least ten, ten, in, uh, ten in two games. So. Yeah. But I mean that that's that's a very telling statistic. Whether your defense is getting beat and you're being hung out the dry, or you're just not performing well, something just needs to be changed. So whether it's his fault or not, I I just think a change needs to happen. And to kind of like bounce off 
of what Barry Trotz said in uh, game four when he said he didn't want to show a sign of desperation and he still went out with Leonard. Um, you're not really showing desperation whenever you're making a line change. Why are you showing desperation whenever you're making a goalie change? Right. Uh, the, the thing with that, the thing that shocked me about the Morazic thing was I don't even know if he even played as bad as what that score shows. The only thing that, from a coaching point that I would look at it is, is that you could do your goaltender a huge favor. Your team's not playing well in front of them. Um, and it could just be a spark. You never know what can happen. Um, it kind of opens the door of who's going to be starting game three a little bit. Um, I just think he could have done Peter Mrazek a big favor and just got him out of there. Um, the game was out of hand. Carolina wasn't coming back. And, um, I, I, I was just really disappointed with the way Rod Brindamore handled that more than anything. This is going to sound very uh, contrarian, and you're not going to like this idea at, at all, but for a team to alternate goalies, not every game, but just like you would in a regular season, mm-hmm. are you opposed to operating a team like that in the playoffs? So McElhenney will get game three. Maybe you go back to Morazic just to keep no. the goals on check. Yeah, no, so, I, mean, I think you go. You, you I, I think you go with the hot hand. I think in rare occasions that that becomes a thing. Kind of like how, um, it in twenty seventeen when Pittsburgh played Ottawa, um, they did start with Mark Andre Fleury, and I, I believe he played games one and two, and then game three gets pulled in in the first period, and they went with Matt Murray the rest of the way. So. I think once once you've kind of burned out as a goaltender and you have a capable backup that could be a possible starter, I think you you got to make that switch. You have to go with the hot hand because every game is so important that you can't give up leverage in the playoffs, especially in a playoff series. Um, so I I I don't think the uh, the rotating goaltender is a is a way to go in, in a playoff series. Yeah, so like I said, very contrarian. I knew you wouldn't like it. You never <laughs> like my ideas, so no, they're usually stupid. Yeah, but definitely McElhenney, <laughs> I think needs to be in there right now. Um, I think I the, think so. I think a hundred percent he starts game three. Yeah, um, I mean, like you said, it doesn't really show how poorly Morazic's been playing, but when you see double digits in two games, something needs to change. So this, yeah, I think will be the changing point. Anything else in hockey? Nope, I think that wraps it up for hockey. If we missed anything, tweet us. Well, comment well how about this? How about this? Um, Ryan Miller, is that an acceptable answer? Yeah, that's, that'd be an acceptable answer. And okay, I mean, you cause... could even extend that into into the the Olympics too, because he really deserved that 2010 <laughs> gold medal. I also think that's what killed his career. <laughs> it possibly could, because Sidney Crosby has owned him ever since that golden goal, which was. That's the only goal I've ever hated Sidney Crosby scoring. I mean, Ryan Miller was a beast before losing that uh, gold medal game. By so. the way, too, before we move on to baseball, uh, world championships going on, Team USA, uh, big shout-out to those guys getting a big win against Finland uh, this morning. Um, we, we've talked about Finland and the United States becoming very upcoming countries in, in hockey in the last couple episodes. Uh, so that's a big overtime win that they got after losing to Slovakia on on uh, Friday morning. So 
uh, big ups to the, to the U.S. players over there uh, playing their hearts out for their country. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's get it on with, uh, with baseball now, shall we? Yep, let's go. All right. What are we uh, leading off with, pun intended? Uh, we had our first no-hitter of the year. All right. Mike Friars of the, uh, of the Oakland Athletics threw a no-hitter last week, so that was pretty awesome. And let's not forget the uh, two web gems, uh, one in particular by Ramon Laureano robbing a home run in the sixth inning, leaping over that wall and extending his arm and catching that baseball and making sure it stayed in the park to keep that thing alive. And um, I'm trying to think if my what I remember hearing this, these statistics are correct, but I think Mark Fires is either uh, one of two or three pitchers. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Time out, time out. Breaks. What'd you call him? Mark Fires. It's Mike oh, Fires. Oh, my God, Dave. Um. <laughs> okay, <laughs> keep going. Keep going. Anyway, Mike Fires is one of either two or three pitchers that have a all-time losing record and multiple no-hitters in their career. Wow. So he, that's what his second? Yeah. Wow. Is that not like that is a hundred percent like he retires, goes to a bar, like, hey, my fire's not a big deal. I threw two no no hitters in in major league baseball. Right. <laughs> like like that is a hundred percent just you're throwing that out in every conversation you've ever like I would get if I was him, I'd get business cards and hand those hand those out. <laughs> just it, it just says uh Jeff Chris uh, current host of Icy Takes scored multiple hat tricks in a Stanley Cup playoff series. Multiple hat tricks <laughs> through through two no hitters in baseball. Whatever, like a hundred percent, he better be dropping that everywhere he goes. There's no being humble or being a nice guy about it. You just throw that in everybody's face. So this is what I think the uh, the three hundredth maybe uh, no hitter ever thrown all time. Some. Something crazy like that. Um, now we got to see if we can get our uh, perfect game of the year because that is something I love to see. Um, we had a Hyunjin, Hyunjin uh, Ryu. Uh, yeah, tough one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He, yeah, he uh, he stuck the Louisville Slugger up our ass last week. He had uh, he had that going into the eighth inning yesterday, uh, Sunday, um, against the Nationals. We went into the eighth inning and. One of the weirdest plays that you'll see preserve a no-hitter was that a, a hard line drive was hit to Cody Bellinger in right field, and he threw out the runner at first base. Yeah, that was Strasburg, wasn't it? Um, I'd, I'd have to look that I up. Thought, but it, I thought it I saw on, on the, uh, the at-bat app, they had like a clip about something about Strasburg, and it was Bellinger lining up for a, for a throw or something. I could be wrong there, but um, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Um, so now that we have our, our first no hitter, um, covered of the year, um, anything else you want to talk about that or move on? Uh, we can move on. We can move on. All right. Then what else have we got? Uh, yes. Yeah. Puig and Madison Baumgartner. Here we go. Again. Here we go. I love this it. This is the hot button topic we talked about before we hit, we hit the record button. Do you All want right. to explain? Oh, I mean, yeah, I'm just so used to you explaining everything. I, it usually gives me a time to collect my thoughts. But um, Okay, so... But, <laughs> I mean, I can do it. Okay. 
Yeah, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Uh, all right. All right. So it's just a, a nice friendly game in San Francisco between um, the Giants and Reds. Um, the, the Reds have been real choke artists against the Giants in these uh, weekend series that they've had in back-to-back weeks. Um, but, you know, Madison Bumgarner facing off against Yasiel Puig. They've seen each other plenty of times when Puig was a Dodger. But now uh, wearing the red instead of the blue, uh, Matt Bum throws him a pitch um, inside, fastball, uh, kind of grooved it in there. And Puig fi- uh, almost said finally connected on it, but he connected on it and boy, did that baby fly. And he looked over to his bench, uh, did a couple steps to first base and did a, a nice right, right-wristed uh, bat flip, put it through the air and uh, took it around the bases. But it was Matt Bum's comment after the game uh, that really uh, – Gave everyone uh, a laugh, a chuckle, uh, oh, what, off, what you will. Off the top, off the top rope, and I mean, he kind of buried him pretty good. But... Oh, and it's beautiful. I mean, this is a man who has three rings in against a man who has zero. That's been in back-to-back World Series. And one uh, of those rings, Madison Baumgartner has too. He virtually carried the Giants to to one of those rings. Yeah, let's oh, not forget too. So after the game, um, I've forget what the question was, but Bumgarner responded with uh, the bat flip and the home run saying, I mean, Yasiel Puig is a very quick study. It only took him seven years to finally hit that pitch off of me. So kudos to him. And that was just the, the coldest, uh, you could say that that is the iciest um, burn you could put out there. That is the best oxymoron I could think of for that. So this brought up the interesting conversation that we had. Uh, before we hit record, I feel like you don't like Madison Baumgartner. Like, based off the opinions you have said on this show in the past about people not liking to have fun and um, we got to play the gentleman's game and, and you you hate people like it. Basically, you hate people like me, the fundamentalists. See, but the thing with Mad Bum, I mean, you are pretty much correct with how I see the game maybe versus how he sees the game. He's a cold-blooded killer out there as well. So and what I mean by that, he's not complaining about the players going out there and flipping the bats on him. He's basically taking shots at them saying, you know, he got a hold of that pitch, but for six years, seven years prior, he couldn't do anything with that. So I get excited about that too as well. So I don't really think he um, is uh, dissing any any player flipping the bat on anybody else it's just when a player gets excited against him he's gonna find a way to get back at them and i think without throwing at him or causing a scene in the game he just decided to bring it up with the media afterward yeah but there's also times that he has caused a scene i mean if i remember correctly didn't he like follow yasiel puig down to to the first base after he ran through first base or something and and Bench is cleared in a classic Giants-Dodgers debacle, but... Um, uh, it it might have been a, a walk or a hit-by-pitch or, or something. It was something crazy like that. that it, like he literally, he literally left the mound and went over to first base again to Puig's face, and Bench is cleared and whatnot. But my whole thing, though, is that like he's not... He's not as... And it, like, I get what you mean by cold blood and everything, but... I think he still has that very much old-school old country boy way of playing baseball that if you add a little flair to it, he doesn't like it. And I, I just feel that 
he would fit in that category for you of a guy that's that's still a little glad he wants the game to be boring. Yeah, no, I, I can see why you would bring that up, but for some reason I think I think it's just his approach to the game is why I still like or the approach to how he pitches and how he just controls himself. Um besides that one instance that you brought up. He just dominates out there. And if he doesn't dominate, he'll just be mad about it and just try to move on or wreck his uh, motor motor or ATV, <laughs> one or the other. Right, right. All right, so, so we got, got a little bit more. Um, no, I think that um, that Mad Bum just basically, um, he lost the battle, but he will never lose the war. <laughs> that, is, that is a very, very good point. He will never lose a war with comments like those. Um, I did find a couple little nuggets on the at-bat app when I was prepping for the show before we uh, we called each other, and both were involved in your preseason picks and in terms of uh, Rookie of the Year and your Comeback Player of the Year. Oh, it looks um, like I'm only going to be halfway embarrassed. Do you, what do you want first, the good or the bad? I mean, the bad, obviously. Okay, we'll go with the bad. Jung Ho Gung got placed on the uh, the injured list uh, today by the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, for those of you that did not listen to our show, you can also go back and hear these picks on a uh, on a previous show in the archives at uh, at Anchor.com or wherever our archives are. Anchor.fm. Uh, there you go. Anchor.fm. Icy takes. Uh, Jung Ho Gung was Dave's. Comeback player of the year. The the alcoholic was his his uh, comeback player of the year. He got put on the IL today. He's his batting average is just abysmal. Um, Dave, what do you guys say for yourself for this one? It was a bold pick. Very bold pick. Very <laughs> I mean, bold pick. So it, anytime he would connect with the ball in play, almost twenty five percent of the time it would leave the ballpark. Um, but I mean it. it it goes without saying that he has not been able to connect with the ball a lot of the times. And it has shown with the amount of time that he's been playing this year. And now there is a, the injury, the injury that's listed as a left side strain. Um, so I guess maybe that's the reason why he's been sucking at the plate and maybe has the yips at third base. Not really sure. Um, so we'll just kind of see where, where time takes us there. But yeah, I mean, not really one of my best picks, but I wasn't really expecting it to come into fruition. I was just hoping that it, it could happen so I could tip my hat and say, hey, you know, I got that one right. All right. All right. Well, th- th- things kind of come up a little bit big day for you because uh, there was an article that was put out on it was the MVP of every team so far in baseball. And wouldn't you know it for the New York Mets, it was your rookie of the year pick. It was Pete Alonso playing first base, and they have a little, little, um, little kind of two sentences written about him that he's already hit twelve home runs this year. And could you imagine what this larger-than-life character can do in a pennant chase? So there you go. You can you can at least pat yourself on the back at least once for uh, for that correct pick so far. A month and a half in of a grueling six-month season, I'm looking good so far. You are looking good so far. Uh, couple surprises on here um Bryce Hoskins was picked for the uh, Philadelphia Phillies for their MVP so far this year uh Paul DeJong for the Cardinals who uh is overstepping my pick of Marcelo Zuna 
and everybody else is pretty uh, pretty elementary at that point. Uh, Chris Paddock for the uh, Padres, um, their starting pitcher, uh, overtaking Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, despite all the hype that Tatis Jr. got. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was a pretty interesting little couple little nuggets that I saw and during my uh, pre-show notes. And one more thing before we move on to the next topic. Your uh, your rookie of the year pick right now not doing so so hot for the them Blue Jays up in the north. Yeah, I think he's just trying to adapt because he doesn't get the benefit of starting in in Pittsburgh or Milwaukee. He's starting in pretty much the he's starting in a place where the only team in the country is the Toronto Blue Jays, and that whole country is on this kid's shoulders. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. He'll turn this around. You know, you got your MVP pick in May, but you know what? No one ever won an MVP or a Rookie of the Year in May. So just calm down. Uh, I, I just wanted to make the record straight that you wanted me to look not look bad on the Zhang Ho Gun pick. So I had to. Oh, I didn't want to make you there. look bad. I was just <laughs> saying that I, I just thought that was interesting that you put all your chips in with a drunk driver. Mm, well, some sometimes you just got to go bold. I guess so. So, all right, let's move on. Let's go. What do you got? Well, um, something else that we talked in the show um, before I hit the record button, like you were mentioning. Um, the little bit of controversy that happened in Wrigley Field, and it wasn't really on the field. Um, it was in it was in the stands. So let me just try to describe this the best way that I can, and maybe have a, a a little back and forth on this on this topic. So I forget what inning it was, but there was a reporter um, that was um, looking at the camera from the dugout well. Um, I believe in the Cubs uh, dugout, so might have been a, a home a home team, uh, like a sideline reporter. Um, I guess it's so what they call them in baseball, sideline reporter, even though there's no sidelines. Um, and doing his report from the dugout well, and w- what you can see behind the reporter is a fan making uh, a symbol. And this symbol, if you all want to, you know, do this with me right now as I as I create the symbol, you want to. Uh, I'm using my right hand for this. So you connect your the tips of your uh, thumb and index finger, and you point the other th- uh, three fingers up to kind of make that uh, that OK symbol, Jeff. You know what I'm talking about? Yep, following along. OK, so um, there's another um, reason that this person's doing this symbol. Uh, it's because I, I really don't even know how the game started, and I've never really been a fan of the game because I remember seeing this in high school and a little bit in college, um, and even after college, you, you kind of see it every once in a while. But if you make that symbol and you hold it below your belt and you tell somebody to look at it, and if they make eye contact with it, you then have the right to punch that person in the, in the shoulder, um, like kind of like the like the like the middle like the middle finger middle finger knuckle extended like punch into like uh, right in the middle of the shoulder. Um, and I really don't want to even get into the, like the rest of the game with that. But the reason this is even a story is because that symbol is now being viewed as a uh, as a sign of white supremacy. Um, so going back to the the reporter doing his his thing in the dugout well, 
the reporter is black and the fan is white. So the outcry that came out on Twitter and everywhere else that saw this was that this fan was uh, was being racist with this with this symbol that he was making on not national television but on a television broadcast. And now that um, that fan is looking to get a lifetime ban from Wrigley Field, um, and the reason that even this is b- being brought up as uh, a sign of racism or a sign of uh, white supremacy is because a four a chan user um, on the website four chan, whether it's a person who's just being a troll or a person that is uh, actually serious in um, in what he had posted on this website was that he had a, a pencil sketching of this drawing saying that the, with the article or the title saying like Un- unleash operation OKKK. So making that symbol, they're saying that this is a sign of white supremacy because you're making uh, three K's with your uh, hand, whichever way you want to do it, right hand or left hand. And now that uh, symbol, that sign, that hand gesture is now being um, associated with the, the white supremacists. So I just want to get your thoughts on that, Jeff, with the way how I described that. I hope I got everything uh, laid out for you, or if you have any more questions, I can try to describe it in more detail. But um, for a fan to probably just play the joke because he saw it as a joke, um, how do you feel about him getting a lifetime ban from uh, Wrigley Field? Well, I can tell you this. This is the first I've heard that that game has a racial take on it. I don't know about you, but I thought it was just something dumb. You know, we're guys. Guys do dumb shit. You know, we we you make a circle, you put it on your thigh. Oh, you're you're an idiot. You looked at my thigh where a circle that I made with my my two fingers is. I get to punch you in the shoulder. You know, it's a it's kind of a dumb game. I didn't know that it it turned around to be a racial gesture or anything, um, but. It's kind of I, I don't I don't even know what what to even say as a comment on this because you know it, if that's what it means yeah it's not a good look but again does this kid even know that's really what it means or, you know it, I kind of feel like somebody got upset about it and they wrote to the Cubs and the Cubs kind of had to be a, be reactive about it and it it kind of put them in a tough spot. Yeah, so I think that because of the uh, the circumstances and the uh, the different races that are in this shot, um, that the the way it's it's being held up with a you can say a white fan holding up that sign behind a black reporter with him unknowingly seeing that sign. Um, I mean, even if it is, let's just say it is um, a sign of like uh, racial discrimination or a sign of white supremacy. Um, I think. Uh, obviously you have to go and take and take something into action and do something about that. Um, like for a symbol like that, that has just been so commonly used as a, as a dumb game to just look at it around the thigh and then you get punished for a punch in the shoulder. I think this was a, a ploy by this fan who wanted to do that so that everybody who was watching the TV, he had the chance to, punch every one of those people that watched him on the shoulder, which I think would have been the greatest ploy ever trying to get a little bit of a fun take on this. But with the outcry that is social media and everything else that 
we get our information so quickly, there's always going to be that one person who um, notices something like this and will relate it to an article, whether it's uh, done with a purpose or whether it's done with uh, just intentions of just being a jackass or just being a troll on the internet um, and take that seriously. And then all of a sudden we have something that's being taken away that um, to some people was fun, but now cannot be used because of what it is being associated with now. And I think that's really just um, really just poor when it comes to how we all associate with each other and how we all um, try to hang out and just be fun with each other with to have stupid games like that. And now that's, being taken away because of you have some idiot out there who's um, turning this into something that's wrong and hateful. Right. And like I said before too, like again, guys make up stupid stuff like this just for the sake of doing it. So I can punch you in the shoulder. Does this kid even know that that's what that means? Like that's my only, it, it that might come off as insensitive, but I mean, Sometimes, like, it's, it's hard to keep up nowadays of what's offensive, what isn't offensive and anymore with the way society is right now. So um, I don't want to say the kid's off clean completely, but, you know, if, if he doesn't know, then, I mean, can you, can you really ban him from, from Wrigley Field forever? Like, I feel like that. Well, that's let's, just throw, let's just throw this as an example. If the kid puts up a middle finger not knowing what it means on that broadcast, should he get the same punishment? But that's, I, I feel like the middle finger is completely different because yes, no, it's more universal. In our in our society, it's it's very universal that that is not a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, this this circle thing or whatever, I feel like it just like I've learned about it literally forty five minutes ago when we were talking about about what we we're going to talk about on the show. So, um. I don't know. I'm just kind of annoyed by it, um, by the the way that things can be taken out of proportion or out of control. Um, now, I mean, but like you just said, it, it's really hard to keep up with um, maybe something that wasn't offensive back then when it came to a, a stupid game that you would play with your friends in high school to now where it is just being considered a, a racist, a racist gesture. It, it, can be hard to keep up whenever you're not on the internet 24 seven scouring for this stuff, then someone gets punished for it. And then everybody starts to learn about it on that day and either, um, freaks out and says, you know, that person did it with an intention or just guy being a guy, just trying to be stupid and it's going to cost them. Yeah. And I mean, again, it, it kind of feels like that they just put the Cubs in a tough spot and they, it just had to kind of say face PR wise at this point. So, um, you know, it kind of sucks that an organization had to do something like that. But um, when you got to clean up a mess, you got to you got to win the public over as quickly as possible. So um, it's a tough spot for the Cubs and um, they're just going to have to make do. Um, but, yeah, aside from that, uh, if you want to give us our your take on our pages, uh, Facebook, Icy Takes with. Jeff and Big Dave, uh, Twitter at Icy Takes, I-C-E-Y is how we spell it, because why not? Um, So I think that's it for everything, right? 
I believe so. That covers everything. All right, let's get into the MVPs of the week and then uh, get out of here. So MVP, MVPs. Yeah, I'll let you lead off. Um, I'm gonna go with an Atlanta Brave shocker. Uh-huh. Um, I'm gonna go with Max Freed, and Max Freed, I'm gonna go with him because he went into Los Angeles last week for a start. Ends up getting, I believe he slid headfirst at, at home. And he like jammed his his uh his arm or something into like the catcher's shin guard, and he ended up avoiding injury there. And then he got a comebacker later in that start that ended up getting it, getting his throwing hand. Of course, it's never the non-throwing hand; it's always the throwing hand. Right. And um, ends up getting pulled out of that game. They get get X-rays on his hand. This kid has been pretty much the ace for the Braves so far. He's been pitching so well. And t- turns out they come back negative. They he ends up starting Sunday on Mother's Day in Arizona. Pitches an absolute gem for for the Braves. Gets a big win to conclude a very successful road trip in which we swept the Marlins like everybody does. Uh, took a tough tough sweep in L.A. with the Dodgers, and then to take three out of four against the Diamondbacks to have a successful uh, road trip. And we have the Cardinals coming into town. Uh, starting tomorrow with a uh, three-game set. Uh, a, limping, Max Fried, a limping Cardinals team, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So this is yet another. you got to take two out of three in this series at minimum. You'd like a sweep, but um, you, you don't want to be asking for too much here. So uh, Max Freed with a great start on Sunday to keep the uh, the good wins rolling for for the uh, the home nine in Atlanta. Let's go Braves. Max Freed, good work. I'm going to give it to a Pirate, Shocker. And um, give it to Josh Bell because he is arguably the hottest hitter in the National League right now. He just got a base hit in tonight's game. Um, I guess in this podcast, I should say last night's game um, against the Arizona Diamondbacks in his first at-bat. He had an RBI single to extend his hitting streak to 13 games in a row. Uh, he's averaging 400 in that in the hitting streak going into that game. And his OPS is over um, twelve hundred, I believe. So Josh Bell, um, after having the uh, abysmal sophomore slump season last year, has just been showing signs of why this Pirates team wanted him to go through the system and be patient and wait for him to come up. And he is uh, showing signs that he can he can take over that cleanup spot role and rake in those RBIs. There you go, and he's he hit two mammoth home runs this this week too. He put one in the river for God's sakes. Yeah, the fourth player in uh, history in PNC Park history, um, third pirate to do it, uh, where he hit the river on the fly, and he smacked a home run in St. Louis, which would have been either a single or double in PNC Park. Uh, blistered the ball at 112 mile an hour, and the ball didn't <laughs> even. Exceed fifty feet in the air. Two two things. Two things before we wrap up the show. Um, you said uh, he hit that home run in Saint in Saint Louis. That was like a shot. It would have been a single or a double anywhere else. Did yeah. you see the home run Acuna hit in um, Arizona? I actually did. To, like, uh, to dead center. That. It was like it was like one hundred and twelve mile an hour off off the bat, and it was. I think like the the launch angle was only like. 
20 or 21 degrees. Like, it was something absurd that, like, he had no angle on it. It was just a straight line drive home run to deep center. Yep, the same as Josh Bell, except he pulled yeah, it, it was, to uh, it right Yeah, it was field. like the same thing. So it's funny you brought that up. And um, the one other thing, a funny story, and I, I know I bring my grandfather up a lot on this show. Me and him always debate sports and everything. Um, but when when I was watching the Pirates on a consistent basis in like 2013 when they were playing real well, um, me and him would argue about Pedro Alvarez all the time. And um, I think it was Father's Day in 2013 – uh, Pedro hit a home run and it bounced in the river and, and we, I forget how it came up in conversation, but I was like, yeah, Hey Pap, did you see where, uh, Pedro hit that home run? It, it went into the river and, um, like he emphatically just said like, it was on a bounce. It was on a bounce. He did not do it on the fly. It was a hundred percent on a bounce. I can't give him credit for it. And it was like, I couldn't believe like, because we never like raise our voices at each other or anything, so it was hilarious how he was just like, like putting down Pedro right away that it was on a bounce, it was not on a fly. So that's that's <laughs> that's what makes that funny. So, um, one more thing before I close it out. Um, been playing Beat the Streak, uh, the mobile game where you have to pick a player in the major league in the major leagues to uh, just get a base hit, um, or you could pick two players and double down so they both have to get a hit, um. Our boys, uh, Josh Bell and Ronald Acuna, got me uh, a, hit, a hit yesterday, so extended it a little bit. Acuna scared me a little bit, not getting it in the first two at-bats, but I checked in the seventh inning, and he had one there, so I was good to go. Yeah, if, you want, if you're looking for someone, um, Freddie Freeman's not a bad one either to, to go with. I only if went with one today, and uh, he, he, did, he did his job. So Yeah, there on. you go. Keep that one in your back pocket there. Freddie Freeman's definitely a good one for the beat the streak. I'll, I'll see what what the pitching matchup is. Yeah, yeah. well, if it's a lefty, that's, that's a guarantee. Just hammer that one down for Freddie Freeman. One okay. of the best lefty-on-lefty hitters in baseball. All right, so all right, that's our show. Um, Jeff, if you didn't know, um, according to my records, uh, this is episode 13, which also means, um, because of how the, the year is separated, this is the end of season one for us. This, this, is, this is our uh, our season finale episode of season one. Oh, geez. If I would have done that, I would have been a lot better today. Oh, I didn't, no. I didn't we, like my, I didn't like my effort today. Uh, I mean, it, it was, it's late. Um, it's late night podcasting and we were a little depressed because our adopted team got knocked out. That is true. So maybe on the season premiere, we'll uh, we'll be a lot better. Hype it up. Yep, hundred percent. It's a must listen next week, folks. Yep, like like we always say before, uh, Facebook and Twitter. Make sure to like us and follow us there. Follow the personal Twitters at Big underscore Dave fifty two, at Jay Chris underscore fifty one. And we will see you next week in season two. Yep, love you guys. <laughs>